People who were traumatized as children, who show up as adults, struggling as we do, but who are working hard to be able to heal the wounds and give the love and do the work to overcome what happened and become themselves, this is the most noble and holy thing I could ever hope to witness in people. Maybe you have a terrible past, I do. There are traumas that are fairly easy to heal when you get started on the healing work, but there are also traumas that feel buried, they're unknowable, you have no language for them, so they're out of reach, but you feel the effects in your life. You know something's there, keeping you trapped in a bad pattern and keeping you from being able to love other people with all your heart and to let them love you. Sometimes sharing what happened with another person and what you're struggling with today is the very thing you need to open up the healing process to you. Because as one person, you can't always do it just all by yourself. And so in that spirit, I wanna share this letter I received recently from a woman I'll call Marta. And she writes, Dear Fairy, I'm 25 years old and I just got married to my husband last year. We went to high school together and started dating a few years afterward. I've got the fairy pencil. I'm gonna circle things I wanna come back to on a second reading, but I wanna share with you what, what Marta wrote here. She says, when we met again during college, we were both 20. I was a stoner, a prostitute, a sex worker if you prefer, failing in college and trying to climb out of a hopeless place in life. I was open from the very beginning about all of this and he never judged me for it and it amazed me how sweet and honest he was. I was extremely hesitant to start dating him because I knew I was in no place to be in a relationship. But he asked me to be his girlfriend after a few months of seeing each other, and I said yes. I immediately stopped prostituting, got a job, and it pushed me to better myself. I was cautious in the beginning because of my past experiences in unhealthy, borderline abusive relationships. After nine months, I became obsessed, paranoid, and I convinced myself that he would leave me if I didn't drive him away first, so I forced myself to break up with him in this paranoia. His response baffled me. He was heartbroken. He told me he thought I was the one, but he was nevertheless kind and never begged me to take him back. It put into perspective for me that I was wrong to assume his feelings. Eventually we got back together though. I never regretted breaking up because it calmed my frantic brain for a very long time. It was an experience I believe that I needed. We lived together for two years and things were very stable. I got my life together to the best of my ability. I've gone to therapy for three years now and I've been sober all this time. And I make constant efforts to better myself, though I'm not always successful. I proposed, we got married, and it's been lovely. However, over the past few months, I cannot stop myself constantly obsessing about my marriage. Did we get married too young? Will we get divorced? How can I know that this is real love when I can't trust myself or make small decisions? Am I wasting his time? Am I selfish for being uncertain? Not even just this, but I plan my whole day around him. I don't eat if I'm not sure he will want to have lunch together. I won't go to the store when I need to because he wants to come. If I buy this, will he be disappointed in me? We are very open with each other. I don't take up all his brain space like he does mine. Sometimes I will convince myself it's 
because he doesn't love me as much as I love him. And I have to remind myself that obsession and love are not the same. I know I need to focus my, on myself, and I do, but when we're home together, I'm unproductive. My brain is constantly obsessing over him and what he's doing and what I should be doing to help him or be better for him. It's exhausting. <laughs> I am now worrying that I will have to leave him to rid myself of this obsession, even though I don't want to. When it comes to people I truly trust, I feel like I can't keep anything from them. So I tell him these things, even though I don't want to. I know it hurts him to hear that I'm questioning our marriage, but I feel so crazy sometimes. I can't control my brain or what comes out of my mouth. And yet he remains patient and understanding and tries to help me escape the black and white world I sometimes lose myself in. I appreciate his help, but I feel ashamed that I need it, that I can't just be the mellow person he des deserves. It feels like many people live inside me and they all want different things, but the difficult parts of me are the loudest. I feel like I neglected myself as I was neglected growing up, yet I feel that my childhood is not bad enough to warrant my obsessions and constant teetering on function and dysfunction. Please help me. Do I need to be alone to gain control of my brain? Can I stay in this marriage and figure it out? He is so patient with me and loving and kind. I don't want to ruin this, but I worry my obsessions will in due time. All right. so. I got this letter and I read it and I was intrigued, but I felt like something was missing. And so I wrote to Marta and asked if she could elaborate on what happened and why did she end up working as a prostitute? And she replied, my therapist says I suffer from CPTSD. I was the youngest of seven kids in an intensely religious Christian household. My dad was run over by a van when I was about four years old that left him with, a brain, with brain damage to his frontal lobe. Oh dear. This is one of my first memories. My dad was never the same, although I don't remember anything about him before the accident. My siblings were already damaged by him, but this left our family permanently scarred. Oh, okay. As the youngest, I was left to raise myself for the most part, as my mom had six other kids and a husband who now acts like a child to take care of. A lot of things went under the radar in the household. Everything was chaotic, and all my siblings were difficult. I did my best to not get in the way, to be a perfect child for my mom. This left me feeling like an outsider in my family, desperately wanting to be included, but never being seen or heard. I spent most of my child daydreaming. I dated a boy for most of my adolescence and moved in with him at 18. He was abused throughout his childhood and took it out on me most of the time. Huh. I convinced myself I could change him and help him, but of course I couldn't. I didn't even understand that I was suffering too. I was in school full-time studying classical voice. Wow. Um, it was my dream to be a conductor and composer for most of my life, and I worked very hard for it. College didn't go well for me. I was failing and many professors and teachers told me to give up. And this broke my heart more than I can say. Huh. I was also working full time on food stamps, trying to get by emotionally abused and gaslighted, getting screamed at every night. My life was falling apart. I had no friends or anyone to truly trust. My ex broke up with me and kicked me out of the apartment. I was so mentally ill at that time. I would daydream constantly about my life ending for some peace. I would sleep 12 hours a day. I was so depressed I would pee on towels in my room so that I wouldn't have to leave my room. 
I dropped out of college and quit my job. It was a very dark time for me. I still don't know why I started prostituting. I was molested by a family friend around the same time my dad was run over. Come to find out, my mom knew, but no one ever said anything to me or did anything about it. I became promiscuous extremely young. I was sexually assaulted all through middle school and became obsessed with sex. I started having sex in eighth grade. It felt transactional, something that I was supposed to enjoy. I needed money, and it seemed like something I could do. I'd always been good at filling roles and being what others wanted me to be. My sister was a prostitute and a drug addict, and I tried to connect to her through this because we'd never had a relationship before, but she ended up trading me for drugs at one point, and I stopped reaching out. I didn't care about any of it at the time. I didn't care about my safety. I put myself in countless dangerous situations, not caring if I died. I smoked weed all day, every day, trying to escape it all, and I would dissociate during sessions with clients. Of course. I stopped prostituting when my husband and I started dating. He didn't ask me to, but I wanted to. I couldn't see how much it was damaging me, but I didn't want to risk any more STDs for his sake. I stopped smoking weed soon after because it was making me go crazy with paranoia. My dad's sister has schizophrenia, and I convinced myself I would induce it if I kept smoking and doing party drugs like acid. I've been in therapy for three years and have been medicated for two. I've been diagnosed with inattentive ADD and anxiety depression disorder. I've worked very hard to push myself for a better life. I'm now a fairly successful piano teacher in my area, and I really enjoy it. And that's from Marta. Okay, Marta, you poor thing. What a lot you've been through. Thank you for being so clear about what this is like, what your path has been like. And uh, I think I can help. So let me go through and just sort of feed back to you some things you told me. You said that you're 25 and you just got married last year and you're going through a lot of anxiety, um, kind of projecting that it's not great, even though he treats you ever so well. And you were hesitant to start dating. You knew you weren't in a place to start a relationship, but he asked you to be his girlfriend. So I would just say, you know, there's a little bit of a backdrop of you didn't feel ready, but love came to town. And so you, you gave it a go. You're giving it a go. And I commend you for that. Uh, I think saying no to somebody who really loves you um, isn't always the best thing, even when you don't feel ready. But who knows, right? <laughs> we don't really have do-overs of the past. So maybe maybe you weren't ready. Sometimes I wonder, though, if, we, if we'll ever be ready. Sometimes I think the relationships that are loving that show up when we're not ready are the very thing that heals us or that helps us get a little stronger so that we can become more than we used to be, more capable and flexible to be in a relationship. So, you know, I just sort of trust, I trust the process that you're going through here, that somehow it's, it's um, producing more healing and more clarity for you over time. I trust this. And I trust it just because I don't hear you deluding yourself. I don't hear that. Um, you had a history of unhealthy and kind of abusive relationships in the past, and you wanted to be cautious about that, which is smart. And after nine months of being boyfriend and girlfriend, you got obsessed and paranoid and you convinced yourself that he would leave you. You know, this is a thing. It's called relationship anxiety. It's a thing. And it's a form of anxiety for people who have attachment wounds, which 
no surprise at all after what you went through with the, all the kids and your dad's brain injury and getting molested and every, and the you know siblings kind of going off the rails as as a drug addict and prostitute that it just doesn't surprise me at all when you say that you were so good at um going into daydreaming that that was like your superpower yeah that's that's a very good cptsd superpower to survive very difficult things and it will tend to produce the same problems later in adulthood because we don't automatically stop having our coping mechanism when we turn 18. We're gradually, you know, you're 25, so you're sort of, you're definitely like making progress towards getting free of childhood coping mechanisms. I just love that you're sober. I love that you've been in therapy for three years. You're really doing it. You kind of know what the diagnosis is. You sound very clear. And it's quite remarkable that you're in a relationship with somebody who accepts you and treats you well. That That's actually pretty rare for traumatized people. And maybe you got lucky or maybe maybe you're just very loving yourself. I don't know why you had this good luck. And I'm not saying that you have to stay in this marriage, you know, because of it just sounds like you have some dissociation and some anxiety and there's pressure to make decisions, big decisions that you, you can't really kind of bring your whole self into it sometimes. Well, I think those of us here on this channel, we totally understand. We just can't always do it. We can't always sort of bring all of our wisdom and all of our awareness and foresight and intuition into the decisions we make. And so we end up with in dilemmas just as you are. But I, I, I think it's a good dilemma. I think it's a high quality dilemma that you're experiencing your anxiety that he's going to leave and you left the relationship before, before you were married and it was a relief. It was, you know, it reminds me of people who loved the pandemic lockdown because they could finally stop dealing with people. The trigger was turned off. And when I say trigger, I'm talking about a trigger, a stimulus that causes our neurological dysregulation, sort of the primary wound of childhood trauma. It triggers it, it activates it, and we get dysregulated. And the cost of that can be quite high. It's really hard to think, it's hard to function, it's hard to keep your mood together. And especially if you have like anxiety and depression, I imagine that you don't like getting triggered like that. You want things to be steady and stable. There's another sign I saw in your relationship that I like about it, and that's that when you got together, not because you had to, you had a natural desire to become a better person. Part of that was not prostituting anymore, and your insight that you had to dissociate for that, just like spot on. This is when you said I, I was a prostitute or sex worker, if you prefer. I don't prefer sex worker. Uh, I'm, I'm in the camp that thinks that that is a euphemism for something that almost nobody does unless they're dissociated, um, addicted, and have a history of being abused. It's just participating in sex work is, there's very rare, it'd be very rare that it's, that it's not uh, an activated abuse and dissociation thing, no matter what people say about it, no matter how much they claim it empowers them. Uh, I don't see it that way. And I figured this out quite young in my life and I've been watching people and um, I know there's people who are going to go, hey, it's no big deal. And I'll just be like, yeah, I disagree. It is a big, it's a very big deal. And I'm glad you stopped. I'm really glad you stopped. Uh, I don't think people get, I don't think people survive that very easily with their emotions and their ability to have a good connection intact. It's pretty recent, right? And here you are here you are married and having anxiety that your relationship will fall apart. From my point of view, I'm just like, yeah, of course, you know, 
that just sounds as natural as can be to me that because uh, you know first of all because of your childhood second of all because of what you had to do to your mind and spirit in order to do prostitution and what you went through you know you didn't have a supportive family and there you are doing this incredibly accomplished like academic program and you didn't have the money and you were suffering like i know you're not alone in that i know a lot of people have done that and it's this quiet thing and people carry it around and you can't talk about it much and uh, some people might choose to but it does get in the way i mean just you know even watching pornography um, gets in the way of intimacy and relationships of people being able to bond and connect so of course this does so there's healing to do i don't think you're a lost cause at all i think i think you're one of the more promising cases i've ever seen you're not a case but people write to me a lot and um, i just see you as having no bullshit, no resistance to reality. You're working on yourself. You're wondering, you know, have I got what it takes to have the life that I'm having? Can I hold on to it? And, you know, time will tell. I'm not a fortune teller. I think there's a lot of signs that this can be okay. If it's okay with you that you're still working things out, if your husband can handle it, that you're still working things out. So one thing I might suggest, because you had said, you know, you can't be dishonest it just comes out of your mouth i understand that i think for his sake it's desirable whether you can do it or not to not tell him every terrible thought you have just so he doesn't get dragged through an emotional roller coaster about it he knows he knows that you have this sometimes when we think that we need to leave a relationship it could be the truth and we just can't like get to the truth and i guess you're wondering that sometimes we're having those thoughts and it's really just like brain farts <laughs> right trauma just does that your brain is just like there's a lot of unprocessed feelings there's um it's a flight it's a need to it's the flight response to trauma you just need to get out and the flight response has shown up before in that you were into daydreaming dissociation you know weed all of those things that's flight that's one of the major coping mechanisms that people have so your healing path is about learning we all have like all the coping mechanisms but yours seems to be the dominant one seems to be to just sort of like fly away to float up above things and um, escape get out of the relationship get out of reality so your path your healing path is about like gently teaching yourself to stick around to kind of stay in reality and not run away usually what that means is that you have to get in touch with what's important to you and learn to express it and you have to have boundaries with other people and say you know this is like a room you can't come in <laughs> in my soul and this is a place that i'm working or sometimes i can't do this activity or i can't talk about this thing or i really do need this i need a friend who i can talk to about this so we so to have boundaries and freedom of being able to express ourselves so important to not having to fly away the most important thing for all trauma reactions though is for us to learn how do we bring our trauma reactions down how do we calm them down so that we not, we don't have to fly away or like i have i'm more into like the fight your flight i'm fight <laughs> so before i lose my temper at somebody i can i can use tools to take my intense reactions down before I express them to people. And it takes self-awareness. And so you're, you're just, you're, your thing is parallel to mine. Like I gotta use my tools before I lash out. You gotta use your tools before you run away. It's totally worth it. And you can use it not just in your marriage, but you can use it at work with friends, with just responsibilities. Like let's say, um, you know, there's just a big 
task ahead in your work or you have to get ready for something and it's going to be overtime and wanting to do it just makes you want to quit or you know the the pressure of the timeline makes you want to quit and just go oh screw it I, i'm no good i can't do it that's the flight response so sticking around is dealing with the feelings that come up so i want to really share with you you've probably heard me talk about it the daily practice this is this free simple technique of getting your fearful and resentful thoughts on paper and depending on how you view reality you either ask for them to be removed by a higher power or you release them from your higher self and then you go right into a very simple restful meditation and rest your mind and let it heal up and so this is perfectly compatible with whatever therapy you're doing but to be able to self-regulate anytime any anywhere and you can do it in the car you can do it in the living room you can do it when you're out and about people don't really know what you're doing when you're writing and just taking a rest like that is allowed <laughs> and you're a piano teacher so when your clients are when you're teaching your clients you would have to show up for that and and but after they leave if you're if you if you're like a lot of us you might be overcome with like dread and remorse and going why did i say that was i wasn't ready for that they now they can see right through me i'm an imposter all those dark thoughts right and you get them on paper afterwards and just free yourself again and again it's so important to do this regularly if you have what we have if you have complex ptsd and it sounds like you do like the anxiety is a layer on it the depression is a layer on it but those are very very common with with trauma this thing this relationship anxiety you know some people believe it's part of ocd obsessive compulsive disorder maybe your therapist is in a better position to tell you that and you didn't list that as a diagnosis i don't know diagnosis can be imprecise what matters is that you know what your symptoms are and you have tools to kind of ease those symptoms and start bringing them down from controlling your life so that they happen sometimes but you know what to do and you can come back to center that's everything marta that is just like everything that healing is about when you can do that and you're not tripping on everything all the time you're not freaking out you're coming back to center you can know your own mind and so the questions about is my marriage good for me is this where i want to be like all that can come into focus and you get your own answers i won't tell you what your answers are but i feel like it's worth going the extra mile to give this marriage a chance because this person knows you accepts you and sticks with you and time will tell time will tell but i you know i i would hate for you to lose this marriage just because you were so triggered that you couldn't really handle having a good relationship if that's what it is so i know you wrote like hoping you'd get a little more clarity about that and your that will be your answer to come to but i'm i'll tell you about the tools that will help you have that inner peace to have better discernment about that i think it's going to take time you are doing something that i did too which i think is a good thing you're pretty good at compartmentalizing there you told me some things before about the childhood trauma and you didn't bring it up and i think that's absolutely fine like it's not always relevant but when i asked you you were able to retrieve that memory and tell me that sounds so healthy it obviously it doesn't drive your life but knowing what happened to you as a kid i'm like yeah that makes sense i see i see why this is hard i'm always talking to people like i feel like in when we talk about childhood tra trauma symptoms there's so much focus on what happened in childhood and what the parents did or failed to do and that's really relevant but what we then do is we go on to re-traumatize ourselves which you've illustrated so beautifully here you know because of your trauma wounds because of your material needs next thing you do you found yourself doing something that was kind of re-traumatizing for you
and you were able to stop. And being in this relationship is calming, but it's weird. <laughs> I don't know about you, you're a lot younger than me, but I got married 10 years ago and I didn't realize how deeply I had it in my head that it was my second marriage. First one was terrible and I got out of it and we're friends and we had kids together. This marriage, you know, I really prepared myself for and I, but I really had it in my head that as soon as we got married, that would finally resolve the anxiety I had about not being married, about being alone forever. And I just thought there, that solved, but it didn't solve it. Like it really, it came up like more when I had somebody there and then it passed. It took a couple years for me, for the, the worst of it to pass. It, was, it wasn't an easy time at all. And people would be like, how is it being married? And I would say, it's so great. Cause you're supposed to say that, but I was, I was having a very hard time. I was having doubts. And I needed time to work on my own trauma healing and to experience myself in a relationship with somebody who was staying with me and actually loved me. But you know, he was part of things being difficult sometimes too. And so I think losing that dream of like, you know, someday the, the man will come and I'll finally be out of this crap. Well, <laughs> wherever you go, there you are. And so there I was, I was me in a marriage and um, I had a lot of stuff to work out and I, I'm confident I always will have stuff to work out, but in the 10 years we've been together, I've had tremendous progress. And I'll tell you what, Marta, a huge piece of what was healing for me, like having somebody who loved me there, it was a healing, it was, it was bumpy, but it, it was very healing for me, it still is. But then in that safety of the relationship, like all my life I'd had to worry, like I'd be at the critical edge of not having money. I was a single mom for many years and um, a divorced mom for like nine years. So many worries about that. And so with two, I always worked. I've never not worked at any time of my life. So I've always worked. Um, but two of us earning money was, it was a, you know, a blessing. And it was a little bit of safety. And I remember early in the marriage and I'd been saying, we dated for five years first before we got married. Sounds a little bit similar to you. And, um, I said early in the marriage, I feel like there's this thing I really have to do. And I think it's a book and, um, you know, about how to heal from trauma. And I couldn't, I, I couldn't really name it. I, I had been doing my daily practice for years at that point and I knew what it did for me, but I didn't know the problem that it was fixing until like 2014, early in my marriage, the books came out. I had to read them because I was really struggling with my CPTSD symptoms. And I lucked onto the book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk and CPTSD from Surviving to Thriving by Pete Walker. And those books are, you know, world changing. They really like name it, they call it, it's complex PTSD. It had been named before, but it hadn't really like soaked into the consciousness. And it's a big thing now and people are talking about it. But also the phenomenon of neurological dysregulation. When I heard that, I'm like, that is what I've had all my life. And I had been to 11 therapists long ago and had tried all these things. And they, um, they, they often knew about emotional dysregulation, which is part of dysregulation, but there's this other aspect of it where it's just like your nervous system doesn't work properly. Things are misfiring. Your brain waves are a little off. You're, you know, you're out of sync, you're jagged, you're discombobulated. And so it's hard. Your perception gets off your, the, how much emotion you get versus what you think is not at the balance level. So you're getting too emotional about stuff or overthinking things like 
We now know that all this stuff can get thrown out of whack by a history of trauma and the way it kind of injures your nervous system. So I really want to encourage you. It's just like, hey, remember your dear nervous system, which has been through so much and has had to do so many things all by yourself. And as you work on healing your nervous system, and there are several ways to do it, as you work on that, a lot of other things will become easier, including therapy and benefiting from therapy. I'm somebody, you ask me to talk about my trauma to a therapist and I'll get dysregulated pretty quick. Like anything I do to get help from other people is um, I have to be mindful that talking about my trauma just totally sets off dysregulation and then I can't process information. So it doesn't help. I never knew what was going I just thought I was a freak. I thought that I was a broken person. I'm not broken at all. I have a, like you, I have a very normal um, set of injuries that come when you're abused or neglected as a kid. And you were. And it does, it does stuff to your nervous system. And your nervous system governs your health, your thinking. When you're 25, you'll experience one subset of ways that that plays out. When you get to be my age, like the physical stuff is getting more obvious too. And I'm so interested, um, and I just, you know, I just did a video highlighting James Pennebaker's work, Andrew Huberman's podcast about the value of writing, which is what we do in the daily practice here in Crappy Childhood Fairy, that writing about trauma is a way you can process this stuff and move it all, just move along, little doggies, just stop knocking around my head, move it on and be able to have a fresh awareness and a fresh experience of the day and have wise ideas about how, how to continue your healing and not self-sabotage. Like that's, that's what healing is. It's, it's not always super fancy and it's a day-to-day -day process. And I do feel that we kind of need a day-to-day -day system to kind of keep self-regulating. So I recommend that to you. The other thing that I think is important for healing is you need the tools to heal. For me, that's the daily practice. And by the way, when you're learning to re-regulate other things that really help are movement, movement with other people like a dance class or a yoga class or martial arts. Um, that can be really helpful. Being outside is helpful. Sometimes when you just need to re-regulate in a pinch, it's just like get some cold water on your hands. Or if you, if you can, take a cold shower. It takes your nervous system and goes whoosh and gets you reset. And sometimes that is all you need. It's remarkable. Like all this talking, all this science, all this, you know, angsting about what to do. Sometimes all you need is a little bit of cold temperature to just snap out of it. It's mesmerizing getting dysregulated. I've often felt, I should make a video about this. I've often felt it comes on like a migraine. It comes on like a seizure. It's a weird, it's like a neurological state. It sort of begins and for a minute you think maybe you can turn it back and then it gets you and you're, you're just like, you're down the chute <laughs> with it. And when I get really dysregulated, it can be a few days before I can come back. It used to be months. Some people are stuck there for more than months. And so the, how we heal is we learn to notice when we're dysregulated and we come back. We come back from it. We learn to re-regulate. So I've got, I've got programs for that. But what we also have here is a community of other people who are working on healing this too. And I do free calls every two weeks for people who take my free daily practice course. Uh, you can learn and try the techniques in an hour, see if it helps you. If you like it, come to the one of the calls. You'll like it. I think you will. And I take questions there. And so I get to meet people. I'd love to meet you. You don't have to out yourself as you're the letter writer, but you can certainly send me an email and tell me how it turns out. I'd love to hear from you again.
Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.